Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter. Um, I don't know if Carrie's around, but when she's around, Beverly put, will put her on screen. There she is. Hey, Carrie. I heard, hi, I heard your baby in the background. <laughs> yes, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> no, I like it. Sometimes she has a uh, some things to say about I the like state of the world. So, uh, yeah. So um, we should do the normal stuff. Okay. This is a show we do every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, it's a little bit more casual. And um, what else? It's December. And if you're like me, I'm the worst shopper. I procrastinate a lot. You should stop. You should start buying presents now for people because it's going to be bad this year. Do you, did you buy those bad. things I sent you? No, not even. <laughs> even when someone else does the shopping, I don't. I'm just, I, I hate interacting with. It's weird. As a capitalist, I hate being a consumer. Like, I hate shopping with a passion. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, I recommend don't be me in that respect. Go start your shopping early. Also, you can watch us at uh, we're on YouTube. We're on Utreon. We're on Odyssey, live streaming on all of them. Always from unsafespace.com. That's the best place to find us. You can support us there by going to unsafespace.com and following links to various ways to support us. Also, uh, I have, I was going to send out the mugs last night, but I didn't. Probably will do it later today. So if you want a mug to get to you before the holiday, uh, you basically have to go subscribe right now um, so that I notice it after the show. Uh, I what else, I'd like to announce book club is coming up December oh, yes. 19th. We have limited spots on camera. So if you want to be on camera discussing, it's always free to join and participate. Just send an email to speak at unsafespace.com. December 19th, we're doing Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. And I know this is going to be a popular one. I have a feeling it'll probably be the second most popular book club we've ever done in terms of attendance. So let Beverly know now if you want to be on camera. You can also be in the live chat. And then after that, we've already picked the book. We're going back to fiction after that. We've picked Crime and Punishment by Joyce Go. I can, this is why I don't say it, uh, uh, Carter. Dostoevsky. Joyce. Anyway, Crime and Punishment. The Russian dude. And I, I thought it was on the shelf behind me. It's somewhere else. Whatever. January. You can get started on that one now. It's January 30th. It's the end of January, but some people are intimidated by that book. So we wanted to give you a little bit of extra time to read it. So there you go. That's what you should spend your holiday doing, reading about Veskolnikov. Uh, all right. Are we, is, we do everything? Do we do everything? I think we, we did everything. Our, if it's your first time here, like, subscribe, all that stuff. We're very excited. Usually on Mondays, it's just me and Carter hanging out and talking about what's in the news. But occasionally we get to interview people about something a bit more meaty. And today's one of those days. Um, we have a special guest. <laughs> this person I've known for over 25 years, who uh, is now a friend, wasn't always a friend. That's a whole nother story. And is one of the, I would say, boldest people that I know, and just very courageous and a real wait, wait, mama wait. bear. Was she not a friend when you were in SJW? Because that mad props to her for that no it predates that though yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother story we've known each other since science and math school this is uh my friend ellen welcome ellen hi carrie hi carter thank you for having hi, me ellen. sorry for that welcome awkward intro I, I can't not be awkward everybody has a past and i think you know ours is a, a wonderful story of redemption and healing and it is you know, 
Yeah. Is it like a Mean Girls sure. thing in high school? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, okay. it's a. It could be a, a movie. Uh, but I'm very happy that you're with us here today because um, I saw what you're doing online, and I think that you are. I think you're going to be a great example for parents who want to know what they can do. And you're just out there leading the charge. And like I said, I think you're one of the bravest people I know. And so um, what we brought you here to talk about today is for anybody who watches our show, who knows of Josh Slocum on the Disaffected Podcast, Disaffected Podcast recently did an episode about a pornographic book in high school libraries and kids libraries um, at school libraries. And the book was called Gender Queer. And I think if you haven't seen that episode, this is how I learned about that book. I realize it's not how you learned about it, Ellen. So I'm going to let you tell us your story. But if we could just play a clip of that video for anybody who's not familiar with this book, so they know exactly what we're talking about. Does Beverly have that? Possible. I sent it to Beverly. I, we'll I have the PDF of the book, and I'm not 100% sure I could even share some of the images on YouTube without getting banned. Um, why don't we show the PDF of the book instead of the video then? I think we could do it without getting banned. <laughs> Josh did I don't it. know. He did a whole video on it. I mean, it is porn, but they've said, look, it, Josh's video, this book, he, he was talking about this book in Vermont schools and Vermont seems to have a very different stance on it than South Carolina does. They, they're leaving it in the schools. So anybody. Well, that, I, I'm just going to scroll past this part because I don't want to, I don't want it on the screen for very long. Uh, There's that. Okay. Yeah. Done. That's the kind of stuff that's in the book. I don't really think we need to look at the rest of the book. It's a very long graphic novel about a gender queer person. So I don't. There we go. That's it. it. it yeah, take it off, Beverly. Take it off. <laughs> move, move it back. Um, it's it's clearly written by it's written by someone who uh, is I think is gender queer or whatever. It's like a memoir. It's their own embellished, unbelievable life story, I guess. I haven't read it, but I've skipped, I've skimmed through it. So it is her life story. Yes. And she goes by, she doesn't go by she, she goes by Zer or something similar. Um, anyway, we've talked enough. I've set up the book for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> Ellen, can you tell us how did you first learn about this book? Um, and what were some of the first steps that you took? So um, I first learned about this book actually from my neighborhood Facebook page uh, there was a father in the neighborhood who was like, heads up, this book is available in our school district's high school library. And um, I thought, oh boy, you know, I, I definitely heard about some questionable books um, being in school libraries. And, you know, I think we've seen like some Moms for Liberty videos about some of those around the nation. And um, I also happen to be a new member of Moms for Liberty myself. So um, I was working with them on another task when I decided to pause that and look into this. And sure enough, genderqueer was in a couple of our school high school libraries. Um, you know, so that was that was very concerning because there are definitely more graphic images than just that one that yeah that jumps out I, at I you. Don't, I don't want to. I don't want to share them though. I feel like it's. I don't. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, I was even interviewed by a news reporter out of Charlotte. And if I were to show images of concern to the reporter on TV, or if I were to read some of these passages out loud in the books that we are finding, 
um, I'd probably be censored or bleeped out or whatever, you know, they wouldn't even play the clips on TV. Right. Right. You talked about there's there's this book. Wasn't there two other ones that you mentioned, I think? Um, there, what were those? there are two others. Yes. Um, and I, I just actually met with an official review committee today in our district about the other two. Um, and those are All Boys Aren't Blue, a memoir manifesto and Lawn Boy, a novel. So, so what and those aren't f- picture books. Those are like just written, right? Right. They're they're like, you know, young adult novels. Um, one of them does not have a Lexile score, but the other one has a very low Lexile score. And these, you know, are available to um, students in our high schools who are mostly minors. So can that's you explain? Can you explain? Because when I was talking to you, I had to ask this question. So I assume some parents may not know. What's the Lexile score and why is it concerning if it's very low? So a Lexile score is a measure of not only a a child's reading ability and level where they are, but also um, the book's uh, level of reading challenge ability. So, um, you know, if, if I'm at a Lexile score in fourth or fifth grade in the 800s, 900s, um, then I'm looking for books in a Lexile range of, you know, 750 to 1,000, because you kind of want to challenge yourself too. Um, Mm -hmm. And All Boys Aren't Blue has a Lexile score of 890, which if you go to Lexile chart, that's in the range of an average fourth or fifth grader. So an average fourth or fifth grader, not even like a literate fourth or fifth grader. Right. And so if this book is in the high school, what's telling me and and it's being marketed as a high interest, low Lexile book, um, it's definitely high interest um, that it deals with gender issues and uh, homosexuality and and whatnot. But the Lexile score is so low that uh, I'm wondering who really are they targeting? You know, are, are they trying to appeal to children who might be searching for books in that Lexile range? Um, Or are they going after our at-risk youth who are struggling academically or who are questioning their gender or maybe who don't have a lot of educational support at home? Yeah. I I was just going to mention really quickly, I looked up those two books on Amazon. And just so people understand this, all Boys Aren't Blue is a teacher's pick on Amazon. And it has, it's it was, according to this advertisement, an Amazon best book of the year, optioned for television by Gabrielle Union. Um, and the other book, uh, where is it? Here it is, Lawn Boy. Lawn Boy is an editor's pick on Amazon. They've decided that that's the book that you should read. And it's the recipient of a 2019 Alex Award. I don't know what that is, but... These are these aren't random books that ended up in the library. These are books that are being pushed by uh, people of influence in the educational industry and clearly uh, on Amazon. Although I imagine the editor who gets to pick stuff for Amazon has some ties to you know the, the young adult world and education. But that was annoying. That was to me that was an interesting factoid. Yeah, definitely. I, I see that, too. You know, these books are, are getting awards. Um, you know, people are considered woke and enlightened if they're um, 
if they're supporting these books, there's the excuse of what I'm what I'm seeing from media specialists, even in South Carolina, is we need books that represent all of our readers in our area and the issues that they might face. And while I agree with that, um, what I find very concerning is that there seems to be a targeted um, agenda to use that topic to introduce explicit content, which is in South Carolina law illegal. Yeah. So this is interesting. You and I talked about this a little bit. They don't have, excuse me, like this book, Gender Queer, which is illustrated and shows, you know, Carter didn't want to show it on our video because it's pornographic. You can't go find a similar book with porn drawn like that, that's geared towards um, straight kids or, you know, kids who are not They're They're almost, it's like they have to come in through this door of saying, this is about uh, a marginalized group. They have to be protected in some way, shielded in some way to get the porn in there. It has to be through, well, we're just here to, to uh, you know, show different types of people and to show genderqueer teenagers that they exist and, you know, that we're doing it somehow out of the bottom of our hearts. Like it's a good thing that we're doing because they can't bring it in over here. They can't bring it there straight. Like nobody's going to say, oh, we need to represent straight people. Let's bring porn in. You're not going to find the Kama Sutra. You're not going to find the Kama Sutra in K-12 libraries. No. Uh, Nor nor should you. But it is very educational. It's very educational. And, you know, so. (laughs) But the point is they won't, nor should you, and they won't make those arguments about the Kama Sutra. Exactly. Um, You know, definitely to your point, I I think that is by design because, um, you know, if, if a person is not really concise with how they express that this material is not appropriate. Um, they are very easily attacked as being bigoted, um, you know, as going against marginalized groups, um, you know, just just everything that is not true about this issue. You know, most people would agree that you don't want minors to be exposed to sexually explicit graphic literature. And in South Carolina law, it's not, it's not only visuals that are against the law or videos, it's also uh, words um, and literature. So um, while they could easily argue an educational component, like, you know, we want to sympathize with these characters and, and our students need characters that represent them, I'm, I'm arguing that that is not a reason to allow explicit content to come through in a certain category, have all the books you want that represent these groups. But, you know, I'm not going to hopefully, hopefully I wouldn't find a book about um, heterosexual teens engaging in sexually explicit acts for my child to be able to access in the library. I, you know, I was leafing through, I leafed through the Lawn Boy book because you can get a PDF online. And, um, there's also this caricature of like it's almost like they're they they are transporting a a villain from the 1980s who uses derogatory language about gays and mexicans in ways that are just like i'm where where is this person that that you have to convince and fight against it's it is it's poorly written it's it's a (laughs) It's a real, it's just a fantasy. It's like a leftist fantasy novel 
almost. Um, I I was I have been thinking about this since I since I heard about this. I've been thinking about this, and I I'm going to throw this out there. I, I was trying to think where. I mean, I'm against public education generally, but where public education went wrong here, and I'm all for teaching the biological realities of people's bodies and mating, like biologically. This is what happens. This is how it happens. This is the body parts. Like at some point, it's age appropriate. Like I that that's a that's a thing that makes sense to me. I could see justifying that as like, okay, well, that's. You need to know your anatomy and you need to understand how human beings work and and how sex happens and what happens like what happens as a result of sex and like how that works and maybe even study pregnancy right um i think that all makes sense but at some point we switched from talking about biological realities to talking about psychological attitudes about sex and I think that I think we crossed that line quite a long time ago, uh, and I don't think that's any. As a parent, that's none of the school's business to me. I mean, there are parents who are extremely religious and have the, have have views about sex that are wildly divergent from mainstream. There are there are people like me who are, I'm not religious, but I have still some divergence from mainstream about based on my understanding of psychology and health and what I want for my children. And like I, you know, I've got my own thoughts about what's moral what's healthy um how to go about teaching that but it seems like we've outsourced more than just the birds and the bees to public schools we've now outsourced something that really belongs with parents which is the moral and psychological attitudes that shape our sexual lives definitely and you know i used to teach second grade and then kindergarten myself um back when I lived in South Carolina, before I lived in Pennsylvania. Um, so my last year of teaching, I think it was 2005. So to come back now and see how much has changed in that amount of time. You know, I think teachers here, the change has happened gradually, whereas I see a stark difference mm-hmm. um, in how much things have changed. You know, back then we were focused on good citizenship and character traits and like you know, honoring a student of the month for showing kindness or honesty and and things like that, Um, you know, kind of universal good attributes to have. And and now what it seems to be is that um, a lot of education as we've advanced in technology has um, taken the autonomy away from teachers. They're, you know, this is kind of interesting. What I'm finding in the library management company that we use, Follett, um, the library management system is called Destiny Discovery. Follett also owns Discovery Education, which manages our technology and curriculum component here. And so a math teacher and an English teacher can have their assignments kind of coalesce um, through technology that um, discovery education and follow it, uh, allow for and whatever books are in the library are available online in ebook form too and it's all through a student account and follow it is now owned by a company called francisco which is a private equity firm out of san francisco yeah so so the golden gate bridge is featured prominently in one of these books so there you go <laughs> <laughs> so francisco 
you know, has had questionable practices around the globe um, and their acquisition of tech companies that actually do data mining. So, you know, I, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here now? We're not sticking with South Carolina values. Now we've got, you know, uh, California values coming into our education. And, and they're convincing our teachers that to be compassionate towards children's issues is to basically allow anything and everything to be okay. Um, and, and now it's at the expense of the law and allowing our children, our minors, access to explicit content. Just to be clear, San Francisco doesn't have values. We have anti-values here. But, um, <laughs> but we're happy to share them with the world. Uh, one thing that's <laughs> something that's striking me is the this is one of the the. I don't know if it's an unintended consequence, but it's a consequence that's detrimental uh, to centralization of things. Right. When you have a decentralized educational system, you have the power. I mean, the ultimate decentralized system is the person paying for the education is the person getting the education or their parents like are paying, like that's the ultimate decentralization. It's a free market. Um, but if you have public schools, you could at least have a locality have a public school and like they are in control of their curriculum. And slowly over time, we've seen this attitude that for some reason, standardization is better and centralization is better. And we moved towards, well, the whole county has a thing. Well, now the whole state has a thing. Well, now there are federal there are federal things. And now there's one or two key players who control curriculum for most of, of the K through 12 kids in the U.S. And that's just ripe for corruption and for or for indoctrination. Like it's it, you know, you go into you go into let's let's pretend there's a billionaire whose name I won't mention who wants to control uh, you know, wants to help indoctrinate kids. Well, it's very difficult if he's got to go to hundreds of thousands of schools or how, I don't know how many schools there are in the U.S. and convince that principal, do this thing and have this book in your... But it's very easy if 70% of the schools or even 50% of the schools have, you know, two or three major sources where they get their curriculum. He just buys them and gives them money and tells them this is what the curriculum should be. And bam, it's rolled out everywhere. It's a it's a centralization is extremely, extremely dangerous. So this, this, uh, this sort of this thing that you just dropped, which I think is very big. And I think people need to be looking into this. When you told me this the other night, I went on the website of some of these companies and discovery education. So, so for anybody, I had to draw out a map because I was getting confused, but the library management system is called destiny discovery. That's the library right. catalog. Mm -hmm. They're owned by Follett, which also owns Discovery Education, which is this curriculum software stuff. They brag on their website that they are the global leader in standards-based digital curriculum resources for K-12 classrooms worldwide. They're in over half, one half of the U.S. classrooms. Five million educators use them. 50, they've reached 51 million students. And they're owned by this, like you said, private equity firm in San Francisco called Francisco Partners, which buys right. up all these other data mining, mining companies. I don't know. It's just a, it's the problem of you, you articulate better than I can, Carter, but, but the danger of having all of this flowing from one source, no matter who that source is, it's right. instead of put, investing in the autonomy of teachers and their own talents and their own knowledge. And you've got everything coming from this one centralized place. It's, Right. It's concerning well, and, to me. 
don't forget when school districts utilize these companies, they they bring in people from those companies to do staff development, right? So, yeah. so then those companies send people out to every district that is uh, in contract with them. And I mean, we've got evidence with Moms for Liberty that there's staff development going on with our teachers and discovery education that is talking about cultural competency and starting to use some of those buzzwords that sound good, sound mm-hmm. compassionate, but when you dig into it, it's rooted in division and, and racism um, and indoctrination. Yeah. And lo and behold, Francisco also owns a CRT company. So I'm thinking they're double dipping, you know? Yeah. It's all part of the same belief system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 maybe you, the audience isn't aware of this, but I assume you you two are the ESG movement in venture capital and in in a lot of uh, tech firms is quite is quite popular. It's this environmental social governance thing. It's this it's a uh, think of it as like a better housekeeping seal of approval for companies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a leftist thing. It's it's it uses uh, leftist yardsticks to measure how well a company is performing, so that investors and other people can decide, well, do I want to support this company or not? How, how lefty are they? Are they good enough? Um, and I, Mike, I'm just looking at the Francisco partners page. I, they don't use ESG as a phrase, but it's pretty clear based on their <laughs> about page. They, they want a nice ESG score, right? They want to be do. like one of the, don't worry. We're one of the people. We're one of the good guys. Oh, wait, they do. They ESG do policy. They have an ESG policy. Yes. And there's an email ESG at franciscopartners.com. There is on there. I hadn't. They also, I believe when I was digging around them, they announced they were one of the ones you were making fun of that announced that they're going to make sure 50% of their, they're going to comply with this thing where they hire 50, 50% of their CEOs are women or something. Right. They had to be like, we, we really want that high score. Um, well, I'm getting a little far field here now, but I, but I do think people should be digging into this. And uh, I know you're continuing to dig into it. Can we backtrack just a little bit? If there are any parents watching, the thing about your story that I find so compelling is, is that you just went out and did something about it. You and some of these other moms. And in South Carolina, the governor, the governor jumped in. They're now there's a sled investigation happening to figure out how th- these books ended up. These pornographic books ended up in school libraries. Can you tell parents, like, what would be, what were some of your first steps? What would you say to anyone who might be concerned that this is in their kid's library? Even if they're in a state like Vermont, that seems like it doesn't care. Right. Um, So maybe somehow they can find a list of possibly inappropriate books. I mean, one just kind of landed in my lap through a friend in Pennsylvania. So we use that as a kind of a guideline to start um, looking into more than just that one book, Gender Queer, that was mentioned by a father. Um, we have now compiled a list of, uh, 29 other books in our school districts, uh, K through 12 libraries that, uh, possibly contain explicit literature. I, I sent information about all of this to the governor. Um, the governor's education advisor got back to me uh, almost immediately. And then before I knew it, the very next week, the governor is coming out with the statement um, telling our state superintendent that this was inexcusable and um, that the SLED invas- investigation needs to happen and that he'd already contacted the, the chief of SLED. 
So, um, you know, that was an amazing day. You know, I think so many times I had tried to reach out to people uh, who I thought, you know, could handle this in our school district and didn't get much information back. And it wasn't until that letter, which also happened to be, I think, the, the day after I spoke at our school board meeting, making them aware of those um, three books in particular, that the ball started rolling statewide. Because what I also found was that these books aren't just in our school district. You know, I, I had friends looking in their school districts around the state, and they were finding some of these books in their schools, too. And lo and behold, their library management system is run by Follett. Yeah. So, you know, this this is honestly requiring a statewide investigation. And, you know, I don't while I don't want to blame it on teachers because I don't think they intended this material to get in the schools, there was definitely like a lack of oversight or due process, right? Like, you know, Follett's obviously supplying these, but somebody's checking off what books they do and don't want. Um, somebody's not reading these books before they're putting them on the shelves. So there's a lot that we need to go over. We need some best practices. We need teachers to be, you know, really looking through these books, especially if they're coming in under realistic fiction or gender identity issues. That seems to be what, you know, people trying to push pedophilia and um, pornography are, are going through. That's the channel. I imagine that these are in across other states as well, because you, as you just said, Carrie, I think you said 50% or something. 50% um, of U.S. They're, schools. They're, right. So it's it's not just your state. It's everywhere. Right. Right. And, you know, there have been videos of parents in Virginia and um, I believe Texas, some other states coming out about parents reading the same same books or same kind of books, other books um, to their school board meetings and getting silenced. You know, it's not appropriate for you to speak those words at the board meeting. And, um, you know, they've they've been able to affect some change in some places and, and not so much in others, like you mentioned in Vermont. And, and the argument that people are using is, you know, book banning is not constitutional. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, we're not book banning. You know, these books are available. You can go to public library. You can order it off of Amazon or, you know, other big chain bookstores. What we're saying is we need to follow the law when it comes to minors. And these books don't have a right to be on our K through 12 shelves. They were options made available by Follett. And you can either approve or deny specific books. The media specialists can. And then the high the school administrators, like the principals, you know, they approve what the media specialist checks off on. So these books don't have a right to be on the book, but our minors have a right under law to be protected from explicit content. Yes. That's the problem culturally I think we're up against right now is we're entering a place where they are normalizing the idea that minors do not have, have a right to be protected from certain things. They're no, they no longer have the right to be protected from making medical decisions about hormone treatment, about, uh, you know, surgery. They no longer have the right to be protected from pornography. We're reaching this place where I think people suddenly we we're not united anymore on that question of like, are, is there something different about children? Do they need to be protected from certain things? Yes. <laughs> but suddenly right. well, there's they're a lot of people saying no. As if they're, yeah, they're treating children as if they're fully capable, functional adults who can consent. That's 
right? Exactly. Which is not true. Of course, they, they're happy to treat adults like children who can't consent whenever that's a convenient. But in this case, it's convenient to keep to treat kids as if they're adults, right? And this is why you have, um, I think this it's the same thing with the, with the gender surgery. It's like, well, they can consent. It's like, no, a 13-year-old can't consent, right? Um, and I don't know, I don't know if you made this very clear, but I just want to clarify with you because I didn't see this in the books, but I think it's there, Alan. There's description of sexual acts between minors and adults in these books as well. It's not just porn. So um, in All Boys Aren't Blue, the, the parts that I've read, he's talking about um, himself as an adult, like a college student with another um, similarly aged person. And it goes into descriptive detail about, if you don't mind my saying, foreplay, right. humping, masturbation, anal sex, sexual fantasies, and how all that he had to go on was pornography. Um, it, it talks about, you know, the first time he lost his virginity, he was um, on the giving end, if you will. And it goes into explicit detail about that. And the second time he lost his virginity, he says he was on the receiving end. And that was not a good experience for him um, because of the size of the other person. Um, but see, I'm definitely, yeah. I'm <laughs> washing it over. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. being very euphemistic here. He goes into explicit detail. And his takeaway from it um, is that he wants young people to be able to learn from his challenges. And um, my takeaway is, uh, should nobody be on the receiving end? Um, Cause that would kind of mess up a whole lot for people. But, um, but you know, the fact that this is put in a high school where you've got some students who are 13 in a high school. Right. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I've got chapter 23 of Lawn Boy pulled up and I'm not going to read what it says, but he's talking about giving fellatio at 10 years old. This is one that the, uh, I believe it was in Virginia where parents were reading portions of that book, Lawn Boy, um, at a school board meeting and they were cut off. Like you said, Ellen, they were told that they were breaking the decorum rules and that it was inappropriate to read this at the meeting. And their, their whole entire point is and it's appropriate to be in the school libraries for my 13 year old. And, and they're adults speaking to adults. Right? Yes. And, but they obviously think that it's okay to have this accessible to minors. And to your point, Carter, you're right. It was, it was about when he was in fourth grade, which is essentially 10 years old and he's with another fourth grader and they're supposed to be at some kind of youth camp. And they go off and, and they do uh, things to each other, these two boys. And, um, and it gets pretty graphic. And, and his takeaway from that was that, and you know what, it wasn't bad. And so and it doesn't say anything like, um, you know, anything about how it's not good for minors to be engaging in sexual activity or that the camp counselors should have um, been taken to task that this was allowed to happen or it is normalizing this, yeah. normalizing sexual acts with minors. We're normalizing adult sexual acts to be told and taught to explicitly to our minors. And, and again, I'm concerned 
for these at-risk groups who are questioning their gender, who are at the low reading level ability, um, who are, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of support at home. Maybe some of them do, but, you know, even if my child were questioning their gender identity or persuasion, that does not mean I want them to be sexually active. You know, I would still want them. Those are two different things. Exactly. And I don't want them to be exposed to sexual literature or images, as in the case with genderqueer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I've beaten the the drum against public schools for a long time. But I mean, I think this is what ultimately what happens when you outsource uh, not just education, but I'll say moral training. Like if you look at a lot of these, I spent so a year or two ago, I spent time shopping around for schools, even private schools, but both public and private schools. And a lot of them, a lot, now granted, I'm in the Bay Area, so maybe we're different, but a lot of them talk about the importance of raising good citizens or some, some of them will say activists, uh, but some of them will just use euphemisms like citizens or good members of the community and whatever. And I really don't think that's appropriate for a school. I mean, I guess if you want to pay for that as a parent, you can do that. And then you you can know exactly what they mean by that. If you're writing the check, you should know what they mean when they say that. But I think a lot of parents kind of assume that they have this little schoolhouse, you know, what is it? Little house in the prairie, one room schoolhouse kind of mindset almost where it's like, well, they're going to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. no. They're, that's not yeah. what they're going to teach. And if that's all they were teaching, I would argue public schools would do a bad job of it, but at least that's all they would be teaching and fine. But um, they're teaching much more than that. And I, it's, I, I really want to just blame uh, like parents like us and our, you know, my parents as well, like other generations for we've, we just outsourced our responsibility to raise our children. Like, Oh, we have moral standards. would like to raise our children according to moral standards. Eh, the, te- the school will raise them like the school will do it who's gonna who's gonna teach our kids about how to react to the like, who's gonna teach your kids about good citizenship really it shouldn't be the school it should be you if you have an idea for what good citizenship being a good person is like i look most people are christian they go to church like don't don't isn't there a moral code don't you have a an idea for what being a good person is why do you need why do you need a government employee to teach your child what being a good person means to you um, and I and we outsource that, and I think this is the inevitable conclusion because I don't actually think a lot of these people, especially the teachers, some of them are activists. I think a lot of them are just going along with whatever the zeitgeist is right now. And mm-hmm. this is this stuff has has permeated every aspect of our society. It's definitely in Silicon Valley and at Francisco Partners, but it's everywhere. It's in the media. It's in all of academia. It's everywhere, and so. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go along with it. And we've already given them moral authority. We've already said your teacher is a good person, not good at math or good at English or good at teaching you the things you're supposed to, but good person. They're morally good. You can learn moral lessons from your school. Your school is a place to go to learn to be a good person. And it shouldn't be, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that more so today than, you know, there even was decades ago. You know, it seemed like, um, for the most part, you could count on teachers and their students having more or less a similar value system. And like when I was teaching, we were taught you you can't try to convince kids to 
um, believe what your opinion is. I mean, you shouldn't really even offer your opinion. You're supposed to teach the information factually and unbiased. And, and actually, if a child could tell, you know, what your belief system was, you failed as an educator. Um, and that's not the case anymore. Now, now there seems to be a real push that um, it is the right thing to do to convince children that they need to, you know, believe this. And they need to believe this about that historical event and that this person was a terrible person. And, you know, and so it, and then also that it's become the classroom teacher's job to address the social issues and concerns of the students in that classroom with the entire class. Whereas it used to be something that okay, if you had a child who was struggling, they could go speak with the counselor or the counselor would call the parents. And it was handled with the family. Um, that, that is changing big time. Yeah. I, I think the idea though, that you can remove, even in my example of a school that just teaches math and whatever, I think the idea that you can remove, uh, the ethical framework and the assumptions about what's right and wrong from any institution is just false. Any, in, mm -hmm. like every person has their own view of a moral framework and you can't, as much as you, I mean, yeah, a really good teacher can maybe do a great job hiding that, right? They probably are still making some assumptions, even in just what they choose to talk about or what they leave out or whatever. Like, even if they try really hard, there's probably something different about how they would teach versus against someone who's with completely different worldview. Um, but I think the idea that we can divorce those two things is is just false. And so I don't... I. I get scared when conservatives are like, well, we need to make sure that the schools teach these good values. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily disagree that those are good values, but do you want the schools teaching them? Because <laughs> when the when when the cancer infects that brain, it will metastasize into your school, right? Like that's if you give them that power, they become the people teaching morals. And I I just I it's such a it's such an irresponsible it's 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 such an irresponsible thing to do. If you're going to raise kids, it's your responsibility to teach them what's right from wrong, not not the or government. to find a private school that has the morals you have. Well, that's my, my how yeah. you do it. Yeah. You might say, "Oh, I, this person's very aligned with me. I like what they're saying. That's where I'm going to go." But but we've for... lost a lot to homeschooling, actually, and yeah. you know, so then you have the students who are left in the public schools, and and scores are declining. Um, you know, it's, it's not looking great in the public schools for public schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for, yeah. for parents who do have their kids in the public schools and are not pulling them out or able to pull them out and who want to combat this, you know, what are some, I know I've asked you to kind of talk about what you did, but what are some simple things you would have them do? Just like get involved, look at what's in the curriculum, find out what books are in the library. Definitely. Um, so our state superintendent made available all the curriculum, um, the new textbooks and everything that were up for review for next year um, online, as well as in physical form at various universities around the state. So, um, you know, I got on that, encouraged parents in multiple groups that I'm a part of to go look at that information. It was out for a month. I think the last day that it's out is December 9th here in South Carolina. So, you know, review these textbooks before they get approved. Um, you know, sub submit the concerns that you have. I know at least one was already removed. Um, then, 
you know, do what we're doing. If, if you come across an inappropriate books, you know, check them out somewhere yourself. Uh, there's a formal review process that goes on through these districts here. It's uh, there's a Keck form that you fill out, which is KEC. Um, and that starts the official review process. Um, it's going to be lengthy here because we've got at least 29 more books to um, to submit for review. And we haven't even started on other things that we find questionable. Uh, get on school improvement councils. Get involved with the PTA. Um, you know, you may or may not get on that school improvement council, but try, you know, go yeah. for it. Um, there is a book awards committee here uh, done by the South Carolina Association of School Librarians. There are similar similar groups like that with school librarian associations in other states. And they're the ones who review newly published books and put them on a book award list in I think like four or five different categories from illustrated books up to uh, young adult novels. And those book award lists are really highly regarded by media specialists, by classroom teachers. They use those books for summer reading lists. They use them for required reading uh, sometimes. So, you know, we're finding some questionable books on that. And when I contacted the uh, chairperson of what's called SCASL here, um, she she really defended one of these books and it was it was written by a Marxist, a known Marxist. And, a, um, you know, so but she had not even read it. Uh, so someone else on the review panel had read it. So, you know, we need to make sure that also that we have reading material that's representative of all our readers, but also that we have reading material being chosen by a wide variety of parents in our state as well. Because um, we don't all have the same end goal, and um, you know, so those those are handful of ways that people can get involved, and you know, maybe run for school board, yeah, run for local um, positions politically. Uh, we've got to get involved. Uh, maybe start homeschooling. You know, <laughs> I did I did uh, homeschooling at one point myself. Um, we have six kids, so you know, right yeah, now handful, but yeah. I mean, you very magnanimously said you are not here to get anyone in trouble, but is there any attempt to hold some people accountable at least? Because I have to assume that someone in this entire process, I mean, bureaucracies are really good at making no one, nothing, it's never anyone's fault when anything goes wrong. Like I, I understand they're, they're very good at, at having zero responsibility for anything that ever happens, but someone's got to like, is there any attempt to like, hey, we're like, approving these books. Like, can we fire someone? Can someone have some accountability? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not out to ruin anyone's life or anything, but um, you know, I also think people should be held accountable if they are trying to negatively affect our children, uh, especially illegally. So, I mean, hey, if it's a media specialist who is like, oh, this is explicit, yay, let's put this in there. You know, that person should be held accountable. Um, if not, like if, if their worst thing was that they were just trusting that the books being recommended recommended to them by our book distributor were OK and they just kind of blindly said, I mean, maybe some sort of rep reprimand or, you know, we, we, that really, gross negligence? <laughs> we <laughs> really we really need to make sure that we're following due process here and, and looking at the books that we're putting in front of children. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, if if they are found in violation of state law here 
it's up to five years in prison and or a $10,000 fine. So I made that aware to this review panel here. Like, you know, before you were already breaking the law by putting these books in there, unaware of what was in there and making them accessible to minors. Now that we've had this conversation, if you put them back, you're breaking another law. Now you're You're knowingly doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Now you're knowingly doing it. Right. And so I'm, I'm not just trying to protect the children, but also our media specialists, our teachers, our school principals, our board members from, you know, from going to prison possibly. So, but, you know, I really, I really got a question. Like I can't be the only mandated reporter in South Carolina, all teachers and volunteers who work with students are also mandated reporters. Why hasn't anybody else reported these books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, we're they're probably afraid, off. right? They're afraid for what you said earlier, which is criticizing these books gets you labeled the transphobe and everything else. And, right. Um, and so that's, that's scary. I know, I know you've said homeschooling and I, I like homeschooling, but it's also not feasible for a lot of people. I mean, I get that. <laughs> um, how, how hard is it to, I've been thinking about this and I, I realized like how many parents, how many families in a community does it really take to build some sort of private school alternative just for you and your kids and anyone who like, it's not like, it seems like it's, that's probably not that hard to do. I mean, and the standard isn't, you don't have to be the best school ever. You just have to not suck as bad as the public school. (laughs) So I would love to have, there's another guy we should have on the show, Carter, who's, uh, he's related to a guy at my church and they did this in Colorado. And I I don't think it was that many families. I think it was like what you're saying. There's been some news articles about them. They just started their own classical school. And they jumped through the hoops and they were told they couldn't do it. And they did it. Yeah. And it's not, it's, I don't actually think it's that hard. I know of a lot of families who have done what's called co-ops. Mm. And so like, if you have, especially popular in the Catholic community, if you have a bunch of families who, you know, typically they have a large number of children. And so, you know, like us, we've got four years old all the way up to 18. Um, I can't possibly teach them all those different grade levels so what they do is um, they'll they'll lump all the kids who are in one grade level together and like this parent will teach that grade level and then another parent will teach the second graders and another parent, you know, the seventh graders. So, you know, a, a co-op is sometimes a good way. It's like a halfway between homeschooling and private school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine you know, parents have different skill sets. Right. So, so you know, I might be like, yeah, I, I got math covered. But mm-hmm. someone else should teach grammar. Okay, right. fine, right? Like, I I don't, again, I think the bar is pretty low for being better than a public school. <laughs> it's pretty low. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you have, because, because a public school comes with poison. It's not just that they teach things. It's that they also indoctrinate. And like, you could tie your kid to a post in the backyard and he would not have the indoctrination. So you're ahead. So I think things have gotten a a lot, objectively a lot worse in the past 20, 30 years um, than when we were in public school. And they were pretty bad when I was there, but they, so, so Ellen and I went to a science and math high school for 11th and 12th grade. You have to apply to get in. It's for the, you know, the top students in the state and it's residential. And a lot of us came from, I'm not sure about you, Ellen, but my school uh, pretty low 
test scores and not challenging. And, but, but the one thing I'm grateful for is that even though it wasn't a rigorous school, I didn't have, there wasn't this kind of indoctrination happening. Right. So this is like an added, it's like you, the, the all of the standards for, for math and English and everything, they're all failing and declining. And then at the same time, you're getting all of this sort of religious like indoctrination based around this social justice ideology pumped into the schools. And that's, that's added on top of everything else. So I think it's gotten a lot worse. Right. Did you, were you a social justice warrior when you came out of Cary school as well, Alan, or was just, when did <laughs> you, I didn't, it wasn't are we going Duke. there now? <laughs> um, it was in know, college. I didn't become SJW till Duke. Yeah. Okay. Right. It, it's funny though. Um, you know, I come from more of a Democrat background, like my grandfather fought for civil rights in South Carolina and he spoke with Rosa Parks at an event. And so, you know, it's always been part of my family to um, really fight for civil rights and equal rights and, and speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. And, um, you know, my dad was a counselor in the education system. My mom taught, she became an administrator. I've grown up in public school. And so that, that really formed my life. And it wasn't until um, I became a teacher that I became a little more conservative because I saw how they were really trying to push teachers to believing and voting a certain way. Um, and, but as far as Carrie goes, I mean, I don't know, we were friends junior year and um, I, I was accused of doing something I didn't do. And so, you know, Carrie and I just like had a disagreement about, about that. And, um, That's you know, we were kids. I was accused of doing something. No. <laughs> we, we, uh, no, but that had nothing to do with, that had nothing to do with social justice though. Like that no. wasn't until when were you, so you guys you got out of high school without social justice indoctrination. As yeah. Well. We, we had did. none of it, at, none of it at governor's school. And I know that it's there now. Like, I don't know about you, Ellen, but I've, I'm on some of those lists and I see they are doing yeah. all of the woke symbols. Yeah. They are doing all of the tributes. I've even had a, a student reach out from, a, a, actually that was from the North Carolina Science and Math School, but they were saying, you know, it's fully, it's fully there now. Right. Now, on the other hot, on the other side, though, you didn't leave the the math and science high school vaccinated against woke. That's true. I did lose my belief system there. Mm -hmm. yeah. You lost your belief system there. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and but I didn't pick up a new one yet. Yeah. I was I was very much into my Christian faith um, and, you know, struggled a lot at governor's school, um, still clung to that faith. And, um, you know, when I went to college, I kind of visited all the different Christian groups on campus. And, um, you know, so I think Carrie and I were just on different paths for a little while. And um, it wasn't until my dad passed away and I was like, you know what, life is too short. And after all these years, I was still harboring, like when I saw my friends on Facebook friended her, I was still harboring like some hurt there. And so I was like, I'm just, life is too short. I'm going to reach out to her and just, you know, make amends. And, um, you know, so that that's our story of redemption. And uh, Carrie was, you know, very open. And since then I feel like, you know, I don't know, things have been really good and uh, we have a lot in common now. And so, yeah. Yeah. 
Sure, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so do you want to stick around for the rest of the episode? Do you want to hang out and read some super chats or do you have to go? How long do we have you? Um, yeah, I mean, I could stick around. I might have to pop my head in with my uh, child who came home from school and make sure he's got a snack and stuff, but I can stick around for some chats if anybody's got questions. Yeah, we yeah, might have, read some super we chats. haven't actually hung, said hello to any of you people in the chat. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions for Ellen about uh, how to push back in your school district, or if you have anything you want to say to her, let us know. Otherwise, we can just read some of the old ones. I don't have them, though, yeah. Carter. Oh, okay. Well, I'll start with the oldest one. Uh, Chris Scars says, don't know if Peter R. Quinones has been on the show, but would be rad to get him on. He has been on the show. Uh, but that's conservatish, right? I think. No. That's, that's not Peter conservative. Feliciano. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Peter was on the show. I don't know about that, Peter. Okay. Uh... TPS says, can we add The Giver by Lois Lowry, my fave? I don't know the book. It sounds like I wouldn't like it. Um, do you guys know The Giver? I know The Giver. That's that's really good. And um, actually, you I like think it? Okay. I think it has some ties in to what's going on these days. Okay. So. Uh, Christopher Corey says, is an active campaign to remove any traditional material and rewrite and replace with material that only promotes their agenda. They accept no in-between. Actually, I have a question about this because um, you were saying, well, we're not trying to censor books. They're still available and they, these don't belong on the shelves. There are a lot of schools who are censoring books, though. They're pulling off like Tom Sawyer is the, the obvious example. Um, they're pulling off a lot of uh, books that we would consider kind of standard for curriculum or old white men books, basically. Um, is there do you do you see that with this Follett group at all or? Are there still wrong thinking books on their list? Um, you know, I'd have to look into that some more. Like I said, I got sidetracked looking for explicit books, but because um, I saw that as a greater danger immediately. Sure. Um, but I mean, yes, I've, I've definitely seen like the push to get Dr. Seuss out of schools and, um, you know, things. I, I think the Scarlet Letter, I mean, some some other banned books that were kind of the classics when we were coming up, right? Um, Isn't it amazing what they think kids shouldn't have access to, right. <laughs> given what they think they should be able to access? And correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, the Scarlet Letter was about adultery, but it did yes. not get explicit, right? No, so, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think it did. No. And, and I was in ninth grade when we covered that. And, um, you know, so there again, I think you can have books on sensitive topics without breaking the law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when Lady Chatterley's Lover was like, maybe that shouldn't be in schools. Right. I mean, so <laughs> there's, they've definitely changed their standards. Um, I'll Fight You Naked says this book approach reminds me of how gay pride parades turned into kink pride parades. Can we call it a slippery slope? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, I, I think once you start letting in a little bit of um, any any kind of, well, I would say, corruption or any kind of illegal material, um, 
they'll just start to make up more excuses why they should allow more and more graphic and obscene material. Um, you know, the next push is going to be having it at the um, at the elementary school age level, right? Because some students are interested in that or some students want to change their gender, but it's not just about that. They're attracted to adults. And so they need to have material that represents them. And so let's give them book literature on children being with adults. Um, so now you're not just talking at the high school level, but you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. I mean, either we follow the law for all the minors or we break it for all the minors. They have like a caged section of the library. We have to show an ID to check out a book. It's something like something's sure. got to give. Sure. Um, and Swiftner says, I disagree that anyone has an affirmative right to protection. Big progressive government is always twisting that to supersede parents' inherent right to defend their children and families from evil or harm. Um, I saw that. I, probably different use of the word right. Um, yeah. Because I... I I agree with Swiftner, but I don't. That's not how you were using the word right. You were using it as a legal term in the state. Right? Culturally, so. though, we've always agreed that there's something fundamentally different about children than adults, and that we should. It's our duty as adults in a society to protect children. And now we suddenly don't all agree with that anymore. Now we're suddenly like. Well, kids can consent and kids can do this and we need to treat kids the same as we treat adults. No. When did that change? Well, again, yeah. I, I like this is this is the problem I have with the word we as soon as you like as soon as you're like, well, we should raise our kid. It takes a village. All right. Well, you've just given up your kid. I mean, I would rather you take my wallet than my the ideology of my children. If you if you want to be a socialist, please just take my wallet and leave my kids to me. Um, but like, there's too many people who are like, oh, we don't like socialism economically. But when it comes to ideas, ideas, we're like all about, it's our responsibility to raise everyone else's child. Right. And if you had free, if you had a free market in education, you could send your kid to a school that had these books in it, if that's what you wanted to do. Um, and your kids would not be protected from this. And I don't think that would be healthy for them, but you could also you know, feed them Twinkies every day. And that's not healthy for them either. And it's not my responsibility. Yeah. Um, I think we are. Oh, wait, there's one new one. And then I think we're caught up. I'll fight you naked says. Have any have had any communication with James Lindsay about what specifically? I think he's talking yes. to Ellen. If Ellen oh, has had communication with James I see. Lindsay, obviously. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, uh, no. no. Um, are you working with Moms for Liberty? So I, I am now with Moms for Liberty and um, actually also connected with um, the state advisor for Blexit in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to find a lot of like-minded people who, who are interested in um, school choice or uh, parental rights, um, protecting the children, uh, opposed to Marxism coming in through the schools. So um yeah, I'm involved in a couple of those groups, plus, you know, just straight up parent groups who are concerned about what's going on um, statewide in the school. You know, there are so many issues coming at us at once because it, it's not just the library books. It's not just the curriculum. Um, you know, it's also the the protocols that are in place right now for medical reasons. 
parents cannot get into the schools. Like I can't even drop off a lunch or an instrument midday to my students and teachers are facing burnout and, but I can't go in there and volunteer and help them out. Um, you know, so we're also involved in trying to see what kind of changes can we make to these protocols when, you know, our sick numbers are low and, um, we really, we would like to help the teachers out. We would like to be involved in our kids' education. And um, that that's just not available to us right now. The textbooks are being used less and less as everything's going online. And we see less and less of what's coming home from school. So it, it's a big concern on so many fronts. But I'll, I'll look into James Lindsay. Are you concerned at all that, you know, you let's say you get books, some of these books removed, as it sounds like they should be, at least the ones I've seen. You get these books removed from the school library. Um, there remains this apparatus, uh, this bureaucratic apparatus that permitted these books to be in the library and possibly wanted these books to be in the library. Um, what's your next big fear? Like, let's say, because you don't need a book to indoctrinate a child. Right. Um, what's what's your next big fear about like what, what would be your next target? I guess not fear. What would be your target? If you, you solve the library problem now, what? Um, well, you know, we're, we're still dealing with these other issues like with the textbooks and with the, can I say COVID protocols in the, in the schools? Um, you know, hopefully the sled invas- investigation going on the state uncovers a lot of what it is that, um, I'm concerned about happening. Um, you know, ultimately, it might come down to a choice where we, you know, have more um, private schools in the area or co-ops, um, because what I what I see happening is parents right now are fighting because they think there's still something worth fighting for. If if things get hopeless, uh, parents are going to pull their kids out left and right. And what's going to be left is, you know, declining numbers, um, test scores and everything in the schools. It, it's not going to look good for our public school system here. Um, but my, my next fight is always going to be what's happening to my kids, what's happening to the kids in the community. Um, because, you know, that legacy is still in me fighting for people's civil rights. And, um, you know, and, and people are trying to twist this topic now to say that, you know, we're, we're against equality and, and that's not the truth. But, um, you know, so my next task is always going to be doing what I can to fight for my kids. And obviously this is something I was willing to go public on. Um, I'm normally a private person, but you know, when it, when it comes to your family, when it comes to the state of your nation, um, I, I feel like this is something worth fighting for. Uh, there are probably several, something's worth fighting for right now. And I'm actually willing, willing to die for it. Wow. Well, I mean, I think you're in the right, battle. I, if I had to pick one area that mattered most, it would be the education system. I mean, I'd probably personally, I'd probably start at the universities, but uh, I don't know, having a 12 year old, I might start, start, start at K through 12, right? Well, um, I did forget to mention, I I'm involved with several groups who are working on bills that are going to the house right now. There's probably a handful of them um, that are addressing that very thing to try to stop indoctrination at every level of education, including the university level, but also in the workplace. Um, because, you know, I know with, with our family and with other adults we talk to, you've got, you've got doctors, you've got um, people in the pharmaceutical industry, all, 
business people, they're having to go to these seminars all the time that are telling them, like, you've got to think this way or you're out or you're demoted or we're only promoting these people or those people. And it's become toxic for some groups of people in the workplace, whereas I, you know, that that's a huge concern. So indoctrination at every level, the workplace, the university, the schools, um, we've got bills in the house Right now, as a matter of fact, was in contact with some representatives. They were supposed to go back into session January 1st, and they moved it up an entire month early. Went back to session December 1st to handle some of these bills that are before them right now. Wow. Is there school choice, any kind of school choice in South Carolina, so parents can take their tax dollars and instead of paying the school district, use them Um, to subsidize or something else? Yeah, I'd have to dig into that a little bit further since, you know, I've just recently moved back this year. But I do know that's one of the... Uh, tenets of the Blexit group. They believe in school choice and um, they're fighting for that. So, um, you know, I know that's on the radar. We have one more super chat on this issue from Swift Nurse. Swift Nurse says, for clarification, Carrie, that perspective of duty to protect a minor is very similar, if not identical, to the moral basis of pro-life opposition to abortion that unborn children can't defend themselves. Yes, I, I agree. That is, it is similar. It is similar. It is similar. And, you know, I think different people have their different opinions on that. Um, you know, I will also be a voice for the voiceless, you know, for, for any group. And, um, you know, but I also, I also, I'm torn between laws and having services available for women. You know, I think a lot of women need counseling, um, if they're in a crisis pregnancy situation or if they've recently had abortions, I'm a big proponent of that. So, um, you know, but being a voice for the voiceless, you know, speaking out for for children, for marginalized groups. I mean, one could certainly argue that's a marginalized group. Well, they that's interesting because the left, they say they like to think of themselves as a voice for the voiceless. But oftentimes they're speaking for groups they weren't elected to speak for who have a voice. And if there's someone from that community, like... Be voiceless. I'm your voice. (laughs) If there's a a black conservative, for example, that they don't agree with, they're perfectly happy. A white leftist to speak for the black people and tell the black conservative to shut up. Um, But you're actually... I don't often hear... Maybe I'm just not on the right enough, but I don't often hear people frame the pro-life position is speaking for the voiceless, but you, they literally do not have a voice. That's like, that's the only, and yet the woke would oppose that. It's, it's so weird. It's like, they want to be a voice for the people who are not actually voiceless. Right. Right. I mean, I know I, I, I don't like it when you tell someone that they're oppressed and that you're going to speak for them. Um, Yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to tell other people they have to believe what I believe. Um, but I also expect the same in return, right? Which is what I think we often don't get in return. Like we have our different opinions, but don't force me to have yours yeah. or punish me. Yeah. Well, the leftists can't do that. I mean, that's, they're all about forcing people. Um, all right. And Andrew Joyner says, did you see the vid from James Lindsay about how the woke see the innocence of kids as an issue? 
I haven't seen that yet. I haven't. Has anyone? But that anything? sounds very relevant right now to everything that's going on. And and this I is, agree. I, yeah, I, this is why I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's perfectly in line with whatever. I haven't seen this video, but it sounds like it's in line. One of the things I love about kids is they are inherently, people always push back, especially if they don't have kids. They're inherently rational. And what I mean by that is not that they know the laws of logic and can think properly, but they expect the world to make sense. They expect, like when they ask a why question, eh, they're normally not just trying, trying to be annoying, right? They expect the world to make sense and they expect to be capable of understanding the world. And that I think is extremely dangerous to a leftist woke. because, yeah, to woke, woke ideology, because woke ideology doesn't make sense. And so you really have to, I think, I think I, I know I joked about tying your kid to a post in the backyard, but I, I really think that if you just didn't go to school at all, and t but you just, you know, learned to live your life, maybe got a job and, you know, did some work sweeping up or like menial work, it doesn't matter. Learned how to kind of take care of yourself through living, you would be way better prepared to reject woke ideology when you came across it later. I'm not saying that's the best way to live your life because obviously you education helps you accomplish a lot more, but I don't think that it's, it's this is why it's difficult to convince that's this is why woke does not catch on with like the labor, the manual labor class very well, right? Because they're like, we work with our hands and do things all day, and like you can't. You can't tell me that the pipe is a social construct when I'm plumbing or that like, like, look, I deal with reality on a daily basis. Like things make sense. They are, the world makes sense. The world is rational. Like things you can't, it's not, you know, it's not a wood plank and not a wood plank at the same time. The, the toilet doesn't get to identify as a refrigerator. Like I understand that things are what they are because I have to deal with reality. And I think people that have to just deal with reality and don't get put through an indoctrination mill are much more uh, resistant to any kind of crazy person who comes along later and says, I identify as a large empty room and my pronouns are zer. It's like, right, I don't know well. though, my plumber, yeah, I think my is. plumber's getting woke. Who? My plumber. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a Beto sticker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Beto probably told him he could, you know, get him a better job somehow. Uh, let's we do some more super Rock so. Lexicon. Thank you, Rock Lexicon. He says, a question for Ellen, as a teacher yourself, how would you talk to your family and friends who are teachers that are either unaware of this or buy into the ideology? On this, on the school choice topic, for example, oh, on the school choice topic, check out Corey DeAngelis. How would you talk to family and friends who are teaching, uh, who are unaware of this or buy into it? Oh, I don't know if she can hear us. Guys, I'm so sorry. the The feed is breaking up, and I couldn't even hear that question. I really want oh, to. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. We'll do it again. We'll it, do it again. It's like glitchy. Carrie, ask it again. Yeah, it's on the screen. Oh. If you can see the screen, it might be that everybody's home from school and getting on the internet around here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Why don't you try leaving and coming back? Turn it blow a blow on it. Turn it on and off. <laughs> That's like the Nintendo. 
Um, let's do another one from G-Man okay. while we're at it. G-Man says, I have nothing to add to this conversation, not even a snarky comment. Good show today and wonderful guest. Thanks. Oh, thank okay. you, G-Man. Thank you, G-Man. Um, I and... couldn't tell you were frozen, Ellen. Yeah, she's definitely got some frozen. freezing issues happening. Yeah. Um, I will check out Corey D'Angelis. I just looked him up. I didn't know who he was. He appears to be working for the Cato Institute, which is usually not where I turn for anyone to actually understand freedom. But, uh, you know, interesting nonetheless, I guess. So if we get Ellen back, we'll ask her that question. And oh, there she is. Hi, Ellen. She's not back. That's that's. Oh, maybe she is back. Hi. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beverly, put up the question on the screen so we we can we can read it to her and she can see it. Uh, it how would you now? talk to family or friends who are teachers that are either unaware of or buy into this ideology? Okay, we might have to end with you, Ellen, just because it's we, yeah, we've got I a continual lag. But thank you so much for yes. being here. Thank you, Ellen. And for anybody who um, is interested about what's going on, just look up South Carolina, what's happening with the SLED investigation and with these books. And I think you you are a, a wonderful example for parents. And I'm so I'm so glad you're out there doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank I appreciate you, it. Bye. Bye. Uh, All right. I've, I'm going to answer that question. Oh, but I'm not a teacher. Rock looks as a time. teacher yourself, Carrie. How would you talk to family or friends who are teachers that hey, are either or I was an SAT prep teacher. I think I think you could answer that question. I mean, I I have my own thoughts on that, but neither one of us are teachers. But we can answer. Yeah. Go ahead. How would you do it? I mean, I would talk. I would try to talk about it the way Ellen just did in a calm and rational manner presenting it as this is something that's illegal. It's actually, you have to start with the fact that it's sexually explicit content because they're going to be primed with possibly primed with the uh, talking points that like, you're just book banning and you're just they're They're already going to be primed to not be able to hear what you're saying. So you have to start with the most important part, which is this is sexually explicit content in a library for children, which is illegal. Like it can be in the public library, but it can't be in the high school library. I think that would be the most salient point, in my opinion. What about you, Carter? I mean, I, I think there's too many variables in this question. Family or friends or who are teachers are either unaware or buy into the ideology. It's, I'm not sure what the purpose of the conversation is. I mean, if it's a family or friend who's a teacher and unaware, I would just talk to them by educating them. Did you know this was happening? Here's what's going on. Check yeah. out these books, right? Like, uh, like, okay, that's very easy. If they're bought into the ideology, uh, you know me. I probably wouldn't talk to them. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> I have better things to do. I mean, what would you say <laughs> to a craving lun a raving lunatic on the street <laughs> who's yelling two plus two is five? Nothing. <laughs> I would keep walking. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, hi. Hi, Timo Talk. He just showed up in the chat. Uh, <laughs> Carter would be like, keep on moving on. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, what would so, you say to a crazy person? 
That was a really weighty topic. I'm so happy we got to do that, though. I want to do more of these interviews with people who are directly like on the ground doing things in their schools and or in the community. But I want to switch it up now and introduce you going to bring in some frivolity. Oh, okay. yeah. So I sent you and Beverly a few things yesterday and today. One of these things is uh, the uh, oh, here we go. It's it's the Twitter feed. It's a tw it's a tweet by David M. Gens. Do you have that one, Beverly? I'm gonna read. Oh, I think it. I saw when you send this one. Uh. <laughs> I just want to put his tweet up now. This made my day. I was laughing about this. So I don't even get. Night, I, I don't get this. I it's even just had dumb. Alex. I even had tears. I was laughing so hard, and then this morning I looked again and I cried some more out of laughter because the comments are just so funny. This is one of those things where people on the internet, the internet is still can sometimes be hilarious. This is a tweet. If you're just listening at home, it's a really awkward photo, a profile photo of a guy sitting in an office at a desk, and uh, on the wall there's a creepy painting of Kamala Harris, like signing something. I don't know. Well, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's a, it's a guy in an office and he says, his name is David. He goes, <laughs> yeah. He goes, hi, my name is David Gens. I work for vice president Harris on behalf of the American people as deputy director for operations and absolutely love my job. Just thought some of you should know smiley face. <laughs> he doesn't even know who his bosses are. He doesn't work on behalf of the American people. Uh, but it's just it's such a weird picture and such a weird tweet well you know why he's doing that right because she's had a bunch of people quit and are talking yeah and people crap. saying she's a horrible person and blah 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 yeah, yeah. okay so then but it's just so weird i didn't know that till i looked this up i was like is this oh, for real okay. who's this guy he it is for real this is his job and a bunch i learned that a bunch of people have quit and have been talking crap about her but if you scroll down into the comments there are some of the funniest <laughs> responses. There's one, five times August, you know, the musician, he just puts a meme of a woman saying, get me out of here. Uh, what's that one? I think she's watching. So people started changing that creepy, that creepy painting that was in the office. Of oh. Kamala. They started changing it to other things because it's such a great Photoshopping opportunity. So uh, they have a, I think she's watching while he's saying that. Keep going down. There's somebody says they have the, the song lyrics. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And it's just a movie clip. They're just zooming in on the guy. Um, this this isn't as funny to you as it was to me, obviously. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look, at it. wait, there's one. Stop there. I like the I am a hostage one below that. <laughs> yeah. That was <one's> yes. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Someone circles for those of you listening. Someone just circled the letters in his tweet that would spell out, "I I am a hostage." <laughs> then you keep going. Someone zoomed in on his face, and they just <laughs> thousand yard stare. Uh, it's just blink twice if you need us to come get you. Uh, so somebody, okay, there's one where they took the little picture there and they changed it to help me. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, anyway, it just, the internet's funny. That's all. Somebody pointed out he can't even control the cords behind his computer there. 
So how is he going to be the director of operations for the vice president? <laughs> um, I don't think the vice president needs a director of operations. That's a sad oh, there, there's the one where it zooms in. Oh, that one's really funny. It says, David, be honest. You're sitting at Kamala's desk, aren't you? And then it zooms into this hole. <gasps> um, that <laughs> That's a really dirty joke. It I just like got a, that. I just like a, a glory hole. <laughs> Took me a minute. I'm too innocent. It took me too long. To, I'm, I'm like, why don't you? Well, if you turn the sound on on that one, it's got like boom, chicka, boom, boom music. Oh, There's the help me okay. one for anyone watching. I this just it's one of those things where the jokes you read joke upon joke upon joke, and you just hit a level of hilarity. It's almost like a, if somebody's doing bad puns and the first five puns aren't that funny, but by the time you hit pun number six, you're dying laughing because they just keep going. Here it is when somebody put a pink pussy hat on him. It's so stupid. Uh, anyway, thank you, Internet. G-Man says, this tweet is about as natural and genuine as Kamala Harris herself. <laughs> Do you think he even knows this tweet was sent out on his behalf? I think he had told the intern to go stand over there while he like did his little typing stare. <laughs> yeah, I think he knows. I just want you to know I love my job. Somebody said your joy is contagious. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. Okay, good. People in the people in the chat think it's funny too. And somebody says, I don't get it. What's that hole for? <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. It took me a minute. <laughs> Sometimes the internet just still you're like, okay, this is what it was intended for. Just uh, funny. <laughs> what about you, Carter? What's going on with you? <laughs> I have nothing so frivolous. To share, um, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna bring us down. But did you see De Blasio now? Did you see what he just declared in New York? Was it a picture saying how much he loves his job? I'm just kidding. No, I didn't see it. It's Vaccine mandates for private sector workers and anyone who wants to eat out anywhere in ages five and up. No. Because of the, and it's a preemptive strike against the Omicron variant, which even Lord Fauci has this to say about the Omicron variant. Thus far, it does not look like there's a great degree of severity to it. So Lord Fauci is like, well, we don't really know if it's that severe. And de Blasio is preemptively locking New York down for five-year-olds. Because, you know, it's just a risk to five-year-olds. Wow. Children have to be protected, Carrie. It's the the children thing. So I think I would, we've been relatively quiet, those of us who have chosen not to get the vaccine. Mm. Like, like we've been relatively quiet about, I'm sort of like, you know, you guys choose whatever you want. I'm fine with it. I know lots of people who are vaxxed. I know lots of people who aren't vaxxed. It doesn't bother. I don't, obviously I don't care. Like we used to feel like about medical choices. I don't care. Right. You do what you want to do. I am against mandates and I'm against your sanctimony in telling me what I should do. I don't want to hear any more about that. Um, and I don't want to hear any more about, 
you know, people coming from an unearned uh, uh, intellectual or moral high ground where they're sort of like pretending like they know what the science says and insulting your intelligence because of your choice based on science. So I don't want to hear any more of that. And I feel like we've been relatively tolerant and respectful. I'll do some memes sometimes just to get a laugh, but, but I don't go online and say, you need to make the choice I did. You stupid people. You know, it's like, I don't, I would never do that, but we've put up with that for so long. And now we've reached a point where they're forcing this vaccine on kids. And I almost, I, I don't think we should be as quiet now as we've been because I mean, it's, it's no longer you making the choice for yourself as an adult. You're forcing it on children. Well, I mean, Obviously, the parents have to do it, right? I mean, the state's not yeah. taking parents away from right. kids away from parents yet, yet, um, to force. But yeah, I, I just, I think so many people are just tired of this whole thing at this point. Um, so I, I, I think COVID. I said this the other day. I think COVID has been a litmus test for neuroticism yes and uh or maybe even a catalyst like a, a prompt for latent neuroticism and there really is i mean you shared i think you shared a picture the other day carrie or whatever of like a a kid oh maybe you shared it in uh today in signal beverly pull this this picture she shared up of the kid i don't know where it is the kid getting wait uh, I'll his send... mask on is it Oh, you know what I'm talking about? With I the do. Parent? I do. Let me find it. But I'm going to send you this other one first. Cause this, I don't, if you haven't seen this yet, Carter, this is gonna here, pull this up. Beverly. there's three pictures here. It's not the mask one, but, um, these are okay. three parents posted these for some kind of virtue points. So yeah. the, the first one hey. is, if you're I just listening at home, yet, right? well, once they come up, the first one okay. is going to be, uh, it's a selfie that this mom took. And in the frame, you can see her crying child, her masked crying Oh, this is the one I was toddler. thinking of. Okay. Yeah. And he's getting a shot. The shot's literally being, pulling his arm, coming out of his arm. He's crying. And she's behind him in a mask, staring into the camera with the AOC crazy eyes. Just yeah, sort of, yeah. Just she's happy about it. Whatever. She's happy it is. about yeah. it. Uh huh. She's happy about it. This is, this is like a trophy for her. Yeah, I don't. Is that the mom or is that the nurse? That's the mom. Did you? You don't get to inject your own child, do you? She's not injecting. She's taking the picture. He's sitting on her lap, and she's taking a photo while the nurse is injecting. Oh, I him. see. That other hands are the nurse's hands. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Her hands on the camera. She thought the it. best thing to do while her child was crying on her lap, getting the shot. She thought the best thing to do was to pull out her camera phone and take a selfie of herself. Ha ha. Is she the one who says the thing that's vile after this? The next picture? No, this is a different mom. Let's look at the next oh. one. <laughs> this is a mom posting yeah, this picture okay. of her kid. He's wearing a, a mask, the little lion face on it. And by the way, the mom posted this and read it. She did not blank out her kids info. Somebody else did that and read it. She had her kids vaccine. He's holding up his vaccine card with his name and stuff on it and all of his doses. And somebody else was kind enough to blot out his info, but she did it. She posted this and she says, 
My son got his second dose today, November 26, 2021. He put up a screaming fight over it because he, his father brainwashed him. But it's over and Santa will bring him presents and not just for his sister. Santa did the trick. He's also now allowed to go see grandma too. Sadly, he's such a little drama queen and has been crying for hours like a baby in his room, screaming about a big headache, whatever it's done. I So I, I will say right away, that's so disturbing that it, I find it suspicious. But I do know that there are bad, evil parents. Mm-hmm. So you've previously shared this picture really bothered me. And you've previously shared the picture of the virtue signaling mom with her kid, right? Um, oh, those tears are after the vax. She's so happy. Oh, that's blah, the blah, next blah. one. Go to the next one. We'll just cover it real quick. And then you. Okay. Here's the third one. And for what Carter's talking about, it's two moms hugging a crying little girl in a chair at the doctor's office. They got someone to take the picture of them. They're all masked, including their kid. And it says, the mom says, the tears came after the shot, after the Band-Aid. That's a six-year-old crying tears of relief and her two mamas crying tears of joy. Thank you, science, all caps. Parents, we freaking made it. Strong arm sign. Anyone who uses the strong arm sign in Twitter is weak. Uh, okay, so back up for a second. because So that's the one that I remember. And that bothered me because it was obviously like we talked about. I think we even talked about this previously. Oh, like imagine the nightmare that they they got this. This kid was so traumatized that she's crying in relief for getting a shot. Like that's bad. And obviously the parents virtue signaling. But if you go to the previous one, what really bothered me about this one is I get that there are dysfunctional parents who have their own neuroticism and damage children psychologically through their neuroticism. I get that. It's not good. It's bad. We can call it out. It's bad. But I get that it's not... Um, it's not devoid of love for their child. It's just neuroticism, right? It's neuroticism. They're crazy. They've damaged their child's psyche because they are neurotic about a variant or about a a thing that's got a 99% plus survival rate. Um, And it may well be still child abuse, as Gene Ellis is pointing out in chat. However, there's something worse about this, which is why I I almost, the the, the part of me that thinks humanity can't possibly be this bad questions the legitimacy of the, the, the authenticity of this. But this person despises their child. This is not just neuroticism. Look at how this person talks about their child. First of all, um, it's over and Santa will bring him presents, not just his sister. So this person threatens that Santa wouldn't bring him presents. So I don't know how old the kid is, four or five, you're five years old, maybe, I can't tell. Uh, Probably five, because that's the the minimum age. Five years old, we'll say, uh, still young enough to still believe in Santa, right? So the, the parent told the kid, Santa's not bringing you presents because you didn't have your vax. Yeah. That's pretty sick. Then you can go see grandma. I, that one actually, okay, fine. Maybe grandma's sick and he shouldn't see grandma because he could be contagious. Okay. Okay. Um, but read the last part. He's such a little drama queen and has been crying for hours like a baby in his room screaming about a big headache. Whatever it's done. He is a fucking baby, you goddamn bitch. He's a kid. He's a kid. 
that sentence makes me want to I mean, it makes capital punishment seem like a good idea to me. I just want to murder that woman. I'm sorry. It is the most disgusting, vile attitude to have towards a, a little kid, a five-year-old. He's such a whiny, crying baby. Whatever, it's done. You should not have children. I, you should not have children. In a, in a just world, no one would stick their penis anywhere near you so that you could never get pregnant. It, that is disgusting. You are a vile individual. It is, it, that bothers me so much. It's not just neuroticism. It's not misguided neuroticism. No. It is evil. It is evil, disgusting depravity. She is a vile person. Who, so it's, it's, how could it's, you hate your kid like that? How could you astergio. say that about your kid? It's a have you heard this Greek word, astergio? If I'm saying it right. I don't, I mean, I can't say Greek words right to save my ass. So <laughs> okay. like, I have no idea. So Astergio is in the, there's a Bible verse in Romans that talks about how God gave people over to their wicked desires. If they want to have wicked desires. And, and it describes all these different ways that humans can become wicked. And one of those, it says is without natural affection, without natural affection is the translation literally of the Greek word astergio, if I'm How do you spell it wrong. Um, A-S-T-E-R-G-E-O. It's one of the four Greek words huh. for love, but it's, it means, it's actually, it means the absence of familial love. It's, it's mm. because it's, because the love for family between a mother and a child and a child and a mother or a father and a child and, or a child and his father, the love for family is so natural that the word they don't have a word for the love they have a a word for the absence of the love it right. means the right because you don't need a word for a love because that's normal right so right. it means it means without natural affection without that yeah. familial love that's what that is that's that's causing you to become so passionate there it, it, and it is i agree that it is it's it's not just neuroticism it is a mother without natural affection and when i first read this I also wondered if it was faked, but I, I I looked as far as I can tell, it's it's real. I and I've seen stuff like this before. We saw the video of a mom on TikTok who was talking about a white mom who was talking about her daughter's uh, white tears and how yeah. her daughter, you know, and just complete disregard for her child. Crying I just don't run across it said, so much. I forget. And she said that her child was trying to manipulate her, manipulate her brother into into uh, manipulate her brother into giving precedence to white women's tears. This this is a mother without natural affection. It's someone who there's a whole book on it called Mothers Who Cannot Love, which I've read. Um, there's books on like there there are people who I know there are mothers who cannot love. <laughs> so you know I, I know. Uh, so I just forget that they exist. Yeah. What, what's interesting though about COVID and this pandemic is that it's it's made okay the same way that it that it allowed it normalized hypochondria and it normalized the neuroticism you're talking about and it made all those people feel like validated in their uh obsessions and their anxieties and their unnatural anxieties it it made them feel like those were okay and now those mm -hmm. people are really having a heyday they're still wearing i was at an indian restaurant yesterday with mystery chris and uh, we were like the two normies there. And then there's these women there with like face shield mask. This girl put woman put on gloves before eating at the buffet. I'm just like, dude, that's not normal. But you're living in a culture now that tells you it's normal. So that all of that's come out, right? The neuroticism, all these things have been normalized. 
mothers who cannot love that, that people who have this astergio, this without natural affection, that's been normalized now. COVID gives those people a way to virtue signal and like show a little bit of their darkness that before would have been frowned upon. It's like, here's a way for it to come out. And with the white privilege stuff too, with that mother saying, you know, my child and her white tears, it's like they are taking, they're using this ideology um, in different ways to validate like different dark parts of themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure I would blame COVID on that. I would say our culture's gotten to the point where we're okay with that for whatever reason. Like, if it's for the right reason, we're okay with that display. Oh, you're showing allegiance to COVID. Oh, that's fine. Oh, you're showing allegiance to, you know, wokeness. Oh, that's fine. Whereas in the past, basically nothing, there was nothing that you could do to show allegiance to where that would be okay. It's like, that's that's never okay. I'm... People are going to think I'm being over the top by this, but I'm not. This is my yeah. reaction to that when I saw this tweet. I I recently read Medea, which is a which is a play um, by Euripides. Um, Medea was married to Jason. For those of you who don't know the the overarching story, Medea um, helped Jason escape from her homeland, basically, and basically burned bridges. She killed some people, got banished from her own own land, and she and her husband Jason moved somewhere else and um and everything was fine until jason decided he was in love with the princess the king's daughter in this new land and he went and decided to get married to the 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 daughter of the king and they they have big fights about it he's trying to convince her i mean he's he's a douche right so he's trying to convince her like oh i i did it for our family because our sons our two they have two sons our two sons will be better off now cuz we don't we don't have any support structure in this new land and now we will and it'll be good for our sons and both like he's a douche about it but medea is so angry at jason that not only does she she sends her sons to uh unwittingly kill the princess by giving her clothes that have poison on them as a gift. But she kills her own children. Mm -hmm. She kills her children to piss off Jason. And she like laments before she kills the kids. She's like, I love these kids, but but I hate Jason more. (laughs) Like I really need to hurt Jason. And, and I've already used them as an instrument in this murder. So they're going to get killed anyway at this point. So, and she kills the kids, and she's, like, related ancestrally to Apollo, so she has a chariot that can fly in the sky. So she kills her kids and puts their bodies in the chariot and won't even let Jason, who's on the ground, like, crying for his kids. He won't even let Jason bury the kids. And she kind of, it's like, kind of like, ha-ha, I'm leaving with the bodies. You'll never see them again. F you, you jerk. And I, and I, you read that story and you think, that's a pretty cold person, right? Like that's pretty horrible. But even Medea, I, it's going to sound weird. Even Medea seemed to be like, I love my kids. I just hate Jason more. So that's why I'm doing, that's why I'm doing this. This lady, I, I don't see, I love my son, but COVID's very important and blah, 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 blah. I, 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 the vibe I get from this lady is worse than Medea's vibe. And I, I get, she, I'm not saying she killed her kids here. I'm not accusing this right. lady of that. Oh. I'm just saying the vibe there is like, 
I despise this little human. I have no respect and I despise this little human. I think that's um, just coming out though. I think those people, this woman is probably, if you were to read her social media, there are parts of her where she does present such a great mask probably. and blends in where you think she really does love this kid. And I mean, that's you, the Medea story makes me think of in Texas a few years ago, there was a case, um, the Christy Sheets case. Do you remember this one? She, um, no. Also had a husband named Jason. Um, she had, in my opinion, she was full on BPD. And okay. that's just from like, look at all of her photos are crazy. The crazy eyes airbrushed. Like she had a certain image she was trying to present online. And um, she, her husband was divorcing her. And on his birthday, they were all having a family meeting at the house. And she took out a gun and killed their two daughters in front of him. I think they were 17 and 19, 16, 19, Taylor and Madison. She shot and killed both of them and, and fr- did not kill him. Wanted him just to, wanted see. to hurt him. Yes. Wanted to take yeah. away the most prized thing. And if you had looked at her social media, which I did, it was full of posts. You would have thought, and now if you don't know the tells, I mean, I'm looking at it like this lady's crazy. But for most people who, who are normal and they assume that everyone else is normal and they if maybe they haven't interacted with a predator before, and I do I do think this type of person is a predator. Um, anyway, they, they would look at it and maybe buy the mask. They would look at it and say, this person is a loving mother. Look at these photos, these selfies of her with her daughters, you know. They wouldn't see past it. Well, it looks like she's unnaturally trying to like make herself look like her daughter's sister. It looks like, you know, it looks like she's like competing with her daughter. It looks like she's using her daughters as um, part of a brand or like part of a a, a facade. Um, they, they would just see, they would just buy the facade. This is a loving mom. Look at these photos, you know, the outward thing. But then, so when, so when this happened, I know I'm rambling a bit, but when this mother killed her daughters, you had the standard interviews with, with neighbors and friends who were like, we never saw it coming. Such a loving mother. Then eventually there were some interviews that trickled out. Oh no, she had some problems with alcohol and she had some pro- mental health problems and depression and stuff. And, and I think, I've, I think there might've even been one who said they thought she was borderline. I can't remember. But um, anyway, I guess my point is there are people like this who are disordered, who do not have the ability to love, but they have a, they can put on a certain mask and then, but the real them, like, peaks out from time to time. And I think COVID, all this stuff around COVID and forcing, forcing masks on kids, forcing the vax on kids, it allows that darkness. It's like one little glimpse of the real them coming out for a second. And they feel like, here's a chance for me to show up almost like here's a, here's a real part of me and you won't reject me because culture is now, they validated this kind of child abuse. Like, yeah, I was going to say that there's there's a thing in culture now where it's okay to abuse people for the right reasons. Yes. And once you make that okay, you get people who just want to abuse to like adopt those reasons. Like, oh, yeah. good. I can I can abuse people? What What's the reason? That, oh, for COVID? Okay. Oh, can I abuse them because they're white too? Yeah. Okay. That's great. What else? Any other things I can abuse them for? What, what are, what else, what's on the list? What are my excuses that I can use to abuse people? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this, Carter. Have you watched American Psycho recently? No. Is that the one with um, Christian Bale? Yeah, I have not. 
I mean, you know, I've watched it, but not in a long time. I would love to read the book at some point now, because when that book came out, I was in my social justice world and I did just like dismiss it as misogynistic, like all the feminists I knew did without having, I did not read it. I just, I knew I was told it was misogynistic. It was a received opinion. I had that opinion. And then when they made it into a movie, even though it was a feminist director, she, she's, um, I forget her name, but she did, uh, I shot Andy Warhol about Valerie Solanas. Even though it was a feminist director and they some of the press around it was saying, you know, no, this is feminist should check this out, that she's giving a new spin. I was one of the diehards as to that was just like, no, like you're just glorifying misogyny. And so re I just rewatched it to see what I thought of it now. All this to say, I think I should read the book. <laughs> I think it would be an interesting read. But there's this one part of the movie where he's obviously he's a it's a it's a uh, it's a surreal take on a narcissist and a sociopath and on uh, male culture in the eighties. That's what this movie's about. And so the lead character is a narcissist and sociopath. And there's this one brilliant scene where he's hanging out with the guys from the office and they're all making sexist cracks and he tries to get in and be one of the guys, but he he's missing that part of humanity where he knows what the limits are. And they portray this brilliantly. He basically, they're all making sexist cracks. And then he jumps in. He's like, yeah, it's like, it's like Ed Gein's philosophy of women. Have you ever heard that? And they're like, who's that? Is that the maitre d' at the restaurant? He's like, no, the serial killer, Ed, Ed Gein. He said that women, <laughs> he starts talking about Ed Gein. He's like, he said when he sees a pretty woman, he, he, he part of him wants to talk to her. And they're like, and what else did he say? He goes, the other part of him just wants to see your head on a pike. <laughs> and he starts laughing. And, then, <laughs> and they're like, uh, they're all horrified. Uh, yeah, because yeah. he took it too far because he doesn't know what's normal. And and but I was thinking about this a lot. I was like, I think I think what's happening there is you see a disordered personality who, on the one hand, doesn't know what the limits are, maybe. And that's why this part of them is peeking out with darkness. But on the other hand, I think I think maybe there's a part of them like these moms who are posting these, in my opinion, disordered mothers who are taking these selfies with their kids crying and stuff and posting them. I think part of them really wants you to see who they really are. And this is one way in which they think like like mm -hmm. in that scene, he's they're all saying sexist things. He's like, oh, great. I can be me for a second. So anyway, Ed Gein said about women. Right. <laughs> like and, <laughs> and that's these moms are posting this stuff like. This is accepted now. They're like, I can show you this little part of me. Look, I'm getting so much glee from doing this to my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a long thought train, but thank you for no, writing it's a great, it with it's me. It's a great thought train. And uh, yeah, it we really are in, in mass psychological dysfunction. Yes. And, yes. and we've really, we're really not only enabling it, but just encouraging it. We're just encouraging, encouraging dysfunction. So. That was depressing. Carrie, make some frivolity. <laughs> Look, did I ever tell you what Ed Gein said about men? Did you see come up with that whole stand-up comedy routine based on Ed Gein? The philosophy of Ed Gein? Who's that? Is that the major D? No, serial killer. Anyway. <laughs> You've got to watch that movie again. Someone says the neighbor's dog made me do it. Is that Ed Gein? I thought that was the. Uh, I thought was that was the other guy. That was that was uh, son of Sam. Son of Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
so all right. well let's read a couple <laughs> super chats and be done what do you think yeah i think so um laura hagan says my husband believes his ex who believes he believes killed his only son has bpd that's horrible laura i'm sorry um yeah not Hi, sure what laura. to say about that yeah you can see it sometimes in people once you start to recognize the pattern. And, and I know when I say like the BPD eyes or whatever, it doesn't mean that Carter, you can put this, you can articulate this better than me. It doesn't mean that that's a, a for sure tell that this person has this disorder. It's just that you can start to notice certain patterns in behavior. And one of those I think is that a lot of times disordered people, especially the ones that have NPD, but they have, they have trouble. They have to put on a mask of the way that humans behave. They have, right. they have trouble with natural emotions, you know, and even though that movie American psycho is a fictionalized account and it's, it's a surreal hyper surreal account of a psychopath, but there's a line in there where he says like, I, I have basically like he's putting on a mask while he's telling you, I don't really exist. I just, I don't have human emotions. I put on this. And so sometimes I think you can see it in people. Anyway, I'm very sorry, Laura. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. <clears throat> um, we've been taught to, while I think it's inappropriate to use your uh, gut um, assessment of someone as, as if it were fact and destroy their life or do something like that. It's also, it, it's, it's also inappropriate to ignore um, and yes. not bother to even yes. learn how to recognize red flags and, and disorders. And I think my guess is that disorders are much, a, a larger percentage of our social relationships are now online. And I think disorders are much easier to hide online because you can, um, you can control what people, what you expose yes. to other people. Yes. Um, whereas if, you know, if you were following, so that lady you're talking about, you're following her Facebook feed, you get her Facebook feed. But if, if you rewind 30 years and she was just in your coffee clutch, like, or your little local book club, she was your neighbor. She couldn't hide a lot of those aspects of her yes. personality very well. Not as um, easily. Right. It's, it's harder. It's harder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. TPS says when the left went, Left the left when realized I dehumanized my own husband and sons as white male. Evil. I have bad moments, but I know it's bad. Good for you. Self-awareness is the thing. Self-awareness is important. We don't, none of us are perfect. Um, we all have psychological flaws. Self-awareness to them is the, is the most important. So you can say, oh, that was not the behavior that I want to manifest and I need to you know, either go apologize or change something or whatever. Um, and the last one I see here is from Keith the Hack Guy says, more people were killed by Alec Baldwin than by Omicron variant. Biden must also ban travel from Hollywood. Hollywood is more dangerous to America. <laughs> <laughs> more people have been killed by Alec. Well, Keith brings the frivolity. Keith, <laughs> you make me laugh on Twitter lately. Hey, I did hear Alec Baldwin did, speaking of narcissistic, I'm I'm absolutely convinced he's a narcissist. I think he might also be a sociopath. I don't know. But uh, he gave an interview, a tearful interview, and I heard he said that uh, he didn't pull the trigger, that the gun just yes. shot itself. 
Yeah, although mm -hmm. although after so I saw that clip where he said that, but then I ended up watching the whole interview. His he I, there's a mechanical way in which that could be true. He had a revolver and he cocked it, and he said he let go of the hammer. Which if you cock it far enough and let go of the hammer, it depending on the firearm, mm -hmm. you could theoretically you could theoretically fire um now someone who'd been trained on revolvers also wouldn't pull the hammer back and let go of it while pointing it at someone so it's the equivalent of pulling the trigger in many ways but um yeah it's like it's like saying well i didn't pull the trigger but i held the gun like this and whacked on the back of it with a mallet it's like okay yeah. well the firing pin did actually end up hitting <laughs> like because of your action but um yeah, I, I have a theory. I don't know if this is true, but I, I have a theory that psychopaths are probably better actors because they have a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, they like they, they have to constantly practice like because they don't have their own empathy. So they have yes. to constantly like, how do how do humans behave? I will they, mimic humans. You mean they, they, practice they, that. they act in real life already? Yeah. Yeah, so that so they maybe they're better actually. Maybe there's I don't know if there's been studies, but I would not be surprised if there was a higher proportion of psychopathy among yeah. Hollywood famous Hollywood actors. Yeah, but who knows? It's just a theory. I happen to um, agree. Tebow talks says Alec Baldwin deleted his Twitter after the interview, and he's now being mentioned in Epstein's black book. I didn't know that. I haven't been following the Maxwell trial. Uh, Black Book did come out. I didn't look at it, but I, I saw that it came out. Um, I think you're right about the Maxwell trial, which yeah, is depressing. You've blackpilled me about the Maxwell trial. I've blackpilled you. <laughs> Carrie's, yeah. Carrie's opinion about the Mac, the, the Maxwell trial is to some kind of will happen, and they'll be like, "Hey, show's over. There's no more pedophilia in the elites. Uh, we we solved the problem. Everyone go home. Stop paying attention." It's a show um, trial. Like, yeah, I think she's right. I think you're right. Hate to say it, but it's a black <clears throat> moment. All right. Well, I think that's it for super chats. We've been going for two hours. I think we can probably end the show. And Beverly wants to interrupt me while I'm saying goodbye. So why don't you do that now? Oh wait, wait. Damn it. Thank you. We should say, I thank book you club. for. Yeah, book club, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Yeah. December nineteenth, we're doing Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. Yes. And we have, what do we have this week coming out? We have a deprogrammed coming out? Force of Light. I got to talk to Force of Light. I think that's coming okay. out tomorrow. Tomorrow. I and think so. they are lovely, these sisters from Tennessee. And they talk about pop culture and theology. And they're super into Star Wars. And they were just, they were a lot of fun. So. Okay. So that's tomorrow if you want to see that. Yes. Um, and then and then Wednesday we have our normal dangerous thoughts, and then Friday we'll be back for Kofefi break. I don't know if there's a great reset this week, but whatever. Um, we'll see you later. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms 
at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by Dr. Fauci. All praise be to his name. The following co-conspirators have been asking too many questions. You know what to do. Once the Maxwell trial is over, we promise there will be no more pedophiles among the ruling class. Just one more job to combat the Zeta variant. Oops I mean the Omicron variant. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.